Thank you for listening to Inside the 435. Our show is supported by sponsors and our loyal audience. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced with Anchor. Here is why you should use Anchor to produce your podcast. It's free, no cost to you ever. There are creation tools built into Anchor allowing you to record, edit, and upload your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor takes the tedious and long process of distribution off of your to-do list. Your show will be automatically distributed to Spotify and Apple Podcasts for you. Everyone dreams of making a little bit of money from a podcast. This is made possible by Anchor. With no minimum listenership, you can be offered sponsorships. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do not wait a second longer. Download the free Anchor app, that's A-N-C-H-O-R, or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number uh, four of Inside the 435. Today, we are sitting down with Myra Smith to talk all about the latest news. So, hello, Myra. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, so, the election has pretty much concluded. Uh, Biden's been named president-elect. So, What are your thoughts on a Biden presidency? I think the Biden presidency will be super good for us because he wants to more unite the country as Trump wanted to divide it. He only really was president for his fan or his like people that supported him um, while Biden is running on a unity campaign. I think he will be a good like moderate president so he won't be too far left or too far right. So I like Biden. I would agree. I think that Biden's whole campaign has been based around unity and Trump was definitely not a president whose, um, you know, whole idea was unity. Um, he, and yeah, Biden's speech that he gave, I think will go down and I've talked to many people and they agree that his speech will go down as one of the greatest, uh, you know, uh, victory speeches and just presidential speeches, um, of all time. It was extremely professional, and the um, presidential behavior that we saw from him is something that I've never seen from Trump in his four years. I think that Biden is just, I think he's more well-versed in politics than Trump. I think he knows how to be respectful, as Trump was just, he's more of a reality star. So he wasn't really used to being respectful in politics. So I think that it's going to be good to have a president that will respect both sides. Yeah, Trump was um, very good at uh, rallying his supporters, and Biden is very good at getting Republicans on his side who he may disagree with, and his years in uh, the Senate and his years as vice president under Obama, a president that was uh, mostly respected, um, you know, very respected by the Democratic Party, and he did have Republican support. It's going to help him accomplish things when he is um, you know, president and trying to get things done with a Republican Senate. And, you know, as we approach 2018, I think that we're going to see a house flip. So it's going to be very important that Biden has the ability to get Republicans on his side. So do you think that that's something he'll be able to accomplish pretty easily? Um, I think it's going to take a lot of effort on both sides because there are still Republicans who think that Trump is doing the right thing by not conceding. So it's going to be a lot of trying to get them to get used to having a Democratic president and having someone who whose views different are different from theirs. Um, I think it'll be that effort on both sides to try and get stuff done. So how do you feel about Trump not conceding? Do you think that it's just a like never giving up thing or do you think it's like in, intended to um, interfere um, I think it's just he just doesn't want to concede. He doesn't want to believe that he lost. Um, I think it's unprofessional for him not to concede. We're not going to see him be um, on January 20th. He's not going to respect Biden. He's probably not going to be at the inauguration. Um, I just think he needs to accept that he lost. I think he needs to concede. 
I think he needs to say Biden is the next president. We need to get started on that. Right. And it's, I don't have a problem with him not like not conceding. It's not just, you're not required to concede. You're not required to come out and officially say in a statement, you know, you're not required to give a concession speech. The only thing I have a problem with is um, how it's going to delay, um, you know, the transfer of power. And I don't think that we're going to have to drag Trump out of the office kicking and screaming. I think by then, you know, I think he'll receive a reality check and by then be more inclined to just leave. But the only thing I'm worried about is Biden's um, ability to get access to confidential information that he's going to need. And as we're seeing, the Trump campaign is not um, allowing that information to be uh, shared with Biden yet. And that could possibly be a national security issue. It's definitely going to lead to a lot of problems when the Biden administration takes over, that they're not going to be peaceful in transitioning because the Trump team, I don't think, is being very cooperative with Biden's campaign right now. Yeah, and we there's not been a whole lot of communication between the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign. And I understand why. I mean, uh, Trump, in his mind, is the president and will stay the president. And Biden is you know, not worried because he knows that these lawsuits are being thrown out. He knows he'll be the next president. And at this point, I'm not worried at all. Like, I'm not worried about... Um, Trump winning lawsuits. I mean, he has to, let's say that he does flip Georgia. And actually when they did that audit in Georgia, they did notice a voting error that uh, increased Biden's lead by 5,000. So that didn't work out very well for Trump, you know? Um, But no, I don't see, even if Georgia flips, he needs Nevada and then Arizona. So at this point, I think the election's like, I mean, the election is over. I'm not worried. So my biggest focus is what's going to happen when Biden takes office. And a big thing that I'm focused on is what's going to happen with the coronavirus when Biden takes office. Um, Right now we're seeing spikes and Trump will not be shutting down the country. Um, Whether he even has the influence to do it right now, I don't know. But we are definitely going to see a Biden shutdown if the numbers are the same in January. And I have no doubt about that. Public health experts are saying that if we can control this virus, that if we shut down and do everything right for six to eight weeks, we can control this virus. And I think if we're going to be able to be, um, you know, hanging out with friends and family, ne- you know, and going to parties next summer, then I say, you know, when can we start this shutdown? Because if we have the ability to get it under control, I think we definitely need to. Definitely. I think that coronavirus is the biggest issue currently. And so Biden's task force, I've seen, they're already getting started on their plan and what they want to do. I think that it's going to be crucial that Biden institutes a mask mandate or even shuts down or tells the governors to shut down because until we get that vaccine or we like get our cases to like go down, we're not going to be able to do anything. Do you think we're going to see a complete government shutdown? Like, I mean, obviously we know that the economy will not be able to handle that again. Uh, we're just starting to rebound from what happened um, in April through like June. So do you think that we're going to be able to like our country will handle a government shutdown? And do you think that states with Republican leaders are going to cooperate with a shutdown? I think states with Republican governors won't want to shut down, but I think eventually they will because they'll know it's best for our country. So I think that that's what is going to be best. And I think that they'll respect that. How do you feel about, um, like, do you feel that uh, Trump's coronavirus response, do you think that he's doing what he believes is best for the country? Or do you believe that he is, um, that his responses are controlled by immaturity, like, you know, refusing to work with the World Health Organization and, um, you know, refusing to shut down the country? Do you think that's immaturity or do you think that he truly believes that we are better off not working with the World Health Organization? I think he is coming from thinking that it's the right thing and he's putting the economy as like the thing that he wants to keep going. But I think that it also comes from a place of immaturity of him, like saying that he wouldn't cooperate with the New York uh, mayor to get a vaccine to the New York residents. I think it's immaturity because he knew about it since January and he didn't do anything until March because he didn't want to freak out the public. But at this point, it's just become, he made wearing masks political. It's just, it started off as a good idea, but then it just became immature very quickly. 
So as a political um, podcast host, I very much love political drama, but I am very much wishing that we could get, you know, boring politics back. So things like, right, like why, I don't understand how on my show I'm able to talk about masks. Like masks are political. A virus, I mean, we all, I mean, would you say that we are all in agreement we want this virus under control so we can go back to normal? Exactly. We all want it to be over. We all want it to be done. It's just people are separated along party lines and they'll do what their party had, had thinks it's best. Right. So it's getting to a point where it's just parties being difficult and leaders being difficult. And I mean, we all want to get this under control. So why can't we work together, um, you know, in our country and then work together with the World Health Organization and other countries to do what's best for the country? If I mean, if health experts are telling us that the best thing to do is shut down and wear masks, then I'm going to be in favor of shutting down and wearing masks. If the, if the World Health Organization says that we should not shut down and that masks don't work, then I'm going to agree that masks don't work. Like, you know, with the information I have, um, you know, and it has nothing to do with the fact that people on the left tend to be in favor of masks and shutdowns and people on the right tend to not be in favor of masks and shutdowns. It has nothing to do with that. My beliefs are stationed on the fact that, you know, World, the World Health Organization and world health leaders are telling us that masks work and that shutting down is a safe alternative to, you know, going out. So until I'm told differently by, you know, health experts, then I'm going to believe that masks work. I know what Australia did for their shutdown is they shut down everything for eight weeks. And it was just you were either at your house or you were at your grocery store and they had a mask mandate and they had a curfew. And they're down to zero cases as of today, like zero reported. So, right. So, I mean, here, Trump has called this virus the China virus, blaming it on China. But look at here, look at the John Hopkins, um, you know, research map. It shows big red dots for every place where cases um, are, you know, being reported. And I will tell you what, I saw this on Twitter and it's, very obvious all you need to do whether you're a republican or a democrat is look at the map the china virus is looking very american as of now so if you're going to call this the china virus obviously we do have problems with china reporting cases you know china has not been truthful in reporting cases at least you know that we found but if you're going to call it the china virus and blame it on china and say that it's all their fault then maybe we should start working on trying to control it we should control in our country and calling it the China virus anyway is just politically incorrect because the Spanish flu that didn't come from Spain, which is like the, what they like to compare it to. Right. Um, it's just, you don't blame a certain region for something that happens. I, I guarantee you that, you know, the Chinese government and the people of China were not like, we want to start a world pandemic and not take credit for it. Uh, that doesn't even like, like the logic doesn't make sense. And, you know, if I argue with people and they're like, it came from China, why can't he call it that? So he knows it's, it's. I mean, it, originally it did incite violence among people. Um, you know, people were becoming violent with their friends who were from Asia. So it's inciting violence. It's causing drama. He's being labeled a racist. So why not just not say it? Like, nobody's said that. Nobody, like, I mean, if it's, if it's causing a problem, why does he have to say it? Like, do you think he, I mean, he knows he doesn't benefit from calling it the China virus, like by calling it the China virus, us Americans don't go, oh, this is China's fault. Like he's, he's calling it the China you know, virus. We're not to blame, but he's not benefiting from calling it the China virus. All it's doing is causing problems. So people who say it's not racist, it came from China. I would say it's being said to be racist. And like the amount of hate crimes against Asians in America has gone up since the coronavirus because you call it the Chinese virus, just like discrimination against Asian people. Exactly. He, he's not solving any problems. It's only creating more. It's only inciting violence. Right. So um, Trump will be in office for, uh, it is, today is uh, the 14th of November. So he'll be in office for two more months, about close to about two more months. Um, I think January 20th is the inauguration. So he's got two more months in office. This has been, you know, this is what they label as um, the lame duck phase because they don't really have any political influence. They don't have um, 
power and really they don't have i mean they still technically have presidential power but they don't have uh influence because they don't have the senate on their side and they don't have um the house on their side and they don't have the house on their side anyway so do you think that we're going to see any change because trump could really cause some mayhem if he wanted to in these next two months but do you think that we're going to see anything or do you think trump's just going to kind of sit down and focus on this transition with biden I think Trump is just going to leave office. I don't think he has any reason to pass any of the stimulus packages anymore. He has no reason to help the American people or do anything that would benefit them. I think we're just going to see him vacate office uh, before January, I think, honestly. I think he'll leave early and they'll just kind of leave Biden to his administration to go in and try and sort everything out. Um so, I, so essentially you're saying that Trump's going to rage quit. Basically. <laughs> All right. So Just off of his tweets, I, I right. think it's not going to be peaceful. It won't be him getting dragged out, but it won't be peaceful. I would agree. And Trump's not like a politician. So do you think that we're seeing any future um, of a Trump presidency? I mean, 2024, he's considered it. His supporters consider it. Do you think we're going to see, even if he runs like here first, do you think he's going to run? We'll start with that. I don't think he's going to run again based like based off of what he said in his uh, rallies where he's like, if I lose, you'll never see me again. I don't think he's going to run again because he will probably be beat again if he runs. Yeah. So that answers my second question. You know, what do you think will happen if he runs? He doesn't have the support of the Republicans and the only people he's going to have are the Trump supporters, not the Republicans. They're, you know, Trump supporters and Republicans, two different things with some overlap. Very different. So he's only going to have support of Trump supporters, and I don't even think he'll have it. I don't know if he'll make it past the primaries. He won't, because there's so much. There's so many better Republican candidates out there other than Donald Trump. Um, and I think we are going to see a lot more younger people run in 2024. So he just won't stand a chance, even if he runs again. So I'm pretty far to the right. Well, very far to the left. I mean, I'm very far to the left, but there are a lot of Republican candidates in this country. So here, Joe Biden's not going to run for a second term. So Kamala Harris will be the incumbent. There are many, many Republicans as a far left Democrat. There are many Republicans in this country who I'd love to cast my first um, presidential vote for in 2024. I think I wouldn't vote for a Republican presidential candidate, but I can respect the candidates that I can see running. So here we have. So so here, what are your thoughts on Kamala Harris? I know that people. Some so I know a lot of people label her as like, um, loud a um, hypocrite, and her her history is not good. I mean, we can all agree that she does not have a good past, especially as a Democrat. Um, but do you think that that's in her past, and that she has has had a very messed up past, or do you think that we're looking at uh, the Kamala Harris right now that we saw fifteen years ago? I think that in a politician's career anyway, you just, you definitely see them change as their career progresses. You see them change their opinions. And I think that's what happened with Kamala. I think she was very pro-cop in the beginning. I remember her, she would put trans women in men's prisons. Um, and I think that we won't see that anymore. I think that we won't see that on a large scale. Uh, I've seen in her and Biden's plan that they want to uh, abolish private prisons. I just think that she will move forward and be a more democratic candidate than she was. So she has been labeled by many news sources as the furthest left um, Senate Senator. I don't know how accurate that is policy wise. I wouldn't say she's so far left. I'd say she, I mean, she's an, she's very liberal I think Biden's definitely more of a centrist than she is. Um, but I mean, if she's like, she, her policies are not extreme. Like not at all. Her, her past Senate career has been very in line with the, um, you know, Senate Democrats during the Kavanaugh hearing. She was one of the ones who led um, uh, to not um, approve justice Kavanaugh. And I, I think that Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee were treated very unfairly during the Kavanaugh hearing. And I think that was a rushed hearing, even though there was no reason to be rushed, um, you know, withholding evidence, 
and a, a lot went on in that. And she kind of led um, Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, to not approve uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. So I wouldn't say policy wise she's very far left, but I definitely wouldn't like none of her policies are on the right. I mean, do you think that we're going to see Kamala Harris controlling Joe Biden or do you think that she's going to follow him, you know, as a president? I think we're going to see how it was with the Obama and Biden presidency in 2008 and 2012. I think it's going to be a team effort. I don't think either of them will be controlling the other. I think it's going to be a joint effort between the both of them because as Biden's more centrist, Kamala definitely has more left-leaning views. So they'll be able to have those discussions and lead our country to wherever they see fit. So, um, whoa, what in the overlay? All right. Um, so you have Biden, who many would, you know, obviously a Democrat, but many would consider him closer to the, you know, close to being a centrist. Um, and then there's Kamala Harris, and many would consider her to be further left than him. So... We're, if we're looking at potential 2024 candidates on the right or on the left, we're looking at Kamala Harris being the incumbent. Um, AOC will be just old enough. We're not going to see her run because she wouldn't want to break up the democratic party. Um, and she would not want to, she couldn't run against Kamala Harris. She's um, progressive. So if we had her on the ballot, it would all automatically be a Republican win because our country is not progressive enough yet to where we would have an AOC presidency. So of all the Democratic candidates that we saw this year, um, other than Joe Biden, all right, so who did not, you know, win, which of them would you prefer? Are there any of them you would prefer over Joe Biden? Because I, I'm sure there are. Definitely. Um, I really liked Yang in the beginning. I thought that he had some very good ideas. I thought he would be a good progressive change. I think he was very respectful in the way that he talked, too. He wasn't bashing either party. I really liked uh, I liked Elizabeth Warren. Uh, she was more moderate than uh, Yang, but she was also a very good candidate in the way that she had political experience. She knew how to run a country. Um, I just think anyone who was a little bit more left-leaning, not super, super progressive. I don't think Bernie Sanders would have won. I loved Bernie, but I don't think he would have won. Um, I think Yang would have had an amazing chance in 2020 if he would have been picked. So Bernie was my um, favorite candidate. Uh, I agree with his um, whole, you know, ideology. I like his policies. His, um, you know, democratic socialism, as he calls it, is a little... It's a little iffy, you know, whether that, I mean, I call that socialism. His idea of democratic socialism is um, some that makes people think it's not socialism. But obviously he's, he was all of our, like, I feel like he was everybody's favorite candidate on the left. He was an absolute favorite, but like, absolutely. Like, I think he was amazing. His policies are amazing. I loved his Medicare for all uh, policy. I just don't think he would have won on a larger scale. Because those moderate voters would have been too scared away by his progressiveness that they would have voted Trump again, even if it meant right. another four years of. Yeah. So here, Trump identifies on the um, extremely idiotic political compass test as far like far right authoritarian. As a Democrat, I call him a far right authoritarian. But if you really break Trump down and look at policy, he isn't as far to the right as he looks. I would say somebody like Ronald Reagan, my favorite president of all time, Republican, is further to the right than um, uh, Donald Trump. But Donald Trump is his policies aren't extreme. I think he's just extreme, which makes him seem like a far right candidate. His policies, when I've looked at, they are very Republican and right leaning, but they are as extreme as Candace Owens and Caitlin Bennett and... But he was on the right, but he was, I guess, a moderate for them. He was just, he speaks in a way that makes him seem very, very right-wing extremist, like. So Republican candidates that we'll be looking at to run against Kamala Harris, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, and 
How old is Candace Owens? Candace Owens, I think, is 26, if I'm not mistaken. She is 31. 31? Oh, okay. I was so quick. in four years, she will turn... Uh, let's see. Okay, so she will be 35. So she'll be old enough. So do you think that... But I don't think she'll run as a 35-year-old. So of all the Republican candidates, we have people like Nikki Haley, Candace Owens. I think we're going to see Nikki Haley running um, against Kamala Harris, and I think that Nikki Haley will win. But can it, um, we'll have to see what the Biden administration looks like um, because Kamala Harris doesn't have support of the entire Democratic Party. But if we see a very strong Biden administration, then Kamala Harris might gain some support. But do you think that, like of all of the Republican you know, candidates – I don't think we're going to see Caitlin Bennett in like a major, you know, polit- like position. I don't think we're going to see Caitlin Bennett. I don't think she'll run because I don't think she knows how our government works enough to be able to uh, run or hold public office ever. Um, but I think she's just more of a Twitter personality. I think Caitlin Bennett is one of the stupidest people on this planet. She's. I, I hate her open carry policies. I hope I hate how she supports Trump and made like Trump is our king shirts, which was the reason it uh, was founded against. Is, yeah. So we just got a very, very intelligent comment. Um, here it is. Uh, want to become famous by followers, primes and viewers on. So if you want to get killed, go to that link, everybody. Um, yes. So. I don't think that Caitlin Bennett should ever hold public office anywhere. So I, I prefer Candace Owens over Nikki Haley. Um, and Candace Owens, I mean, here, if you, I've heard her give her reason on why she became a conservative and it's very not, I don't think it's a reason to become a conservative. All right. So she's a black woman. All right. Her demographic, her demographic is extremely democratic. And here, so here, on the Joe Rogan experience, she gave her reason on why she became a Republican. And her reason was when she was in middle school or high school, I think she was in high school. She got four voicemails from um, uh, a group of boys at her school um, using vulgar language, um, uh, racial slurs and threatening to kill her. Like they killed Martin Luther King and yeah, very vulgar, um, voicemails and essentially this was her explanation for why she became a republican and it was a little confusing i don't have a problem with like a black woman being a republican i mean if you have your policies you don't need to completely follow your demographic all right i'm a white male a white straight male and i'm a liberal okay so i'm not following my demographic um and you're a white uh straight female and you're a liberal so you are following your demographic um but so, yeah, I don't think you need to follow your demographic. I mean, I don't. She doesn't. So she's actually I don't have a problem with her. I don't think she's an extremist. I don't think that she's I mean, I wouldn't vote for her. And I think a lot of the like current governors that we have would be great candidates for the Democrats or the Republicans. I really, really like Governor DeWine. I think that the way he speaks, he's very mature. I think that he knows how to run our state. I think he would be a good candidate for the Republican Party. He is a little old, though. Right. I, I don't actually know how old he is. Um, Governor DeWine is 73. So he'll be 77, which is Biden's age. Yeah, which I think we need We need to be younger. We need to get younger candidates. Uh, so, yes, I do think we need some more younger candidates. I mean, Barack Obama was young, and that's, I think, the age that the Democrats need. And we don't need somebody like, you know, AOC, who's going to be 35 and a month um, on election day next year. But I think we need somebody who's younger in their 40s or 50s instead of their, you know, 77. But I will tell you, I mean, I will be honest, I would vote for Governor DeWine over Kamala Harris. And I, I am my a lot of my beliefs are or a lot of my opinions are not completely based on policy. And they're based on morality and um, whether they're fit to be president or not. So Amy Coney Barrett, I think that my, you know, belief was that she was not qualified. Um, And, you know, that was 
you can go. Uh, she was unfit, not even based on policy, but on the fact that she had only been a judge for three years. She hasn't ruled a case. Um, she has been a deciding factor on several cases where she said that say calling someone the n-word in a political or in a work environment doesn't create a hostile work environment which i just don't agree with um she's just she has a lot of biases and she calls herself a constitutionalist i think was the word which means she wants to rule by the original constitution when it was written which would mean that she doesn't believe that black people or women should vote yeah, so she called herself a constitutional originalist, which is very extreme. The Constitution is not fit for 21st century America. It just isn't. I mean, when the Constitution was written, women could not vote, black people could not vote, slavery was not illegal. It's The Constitution really is an extreme document, and amendments are what balance out the Constitution with the 21st century, and that's why we have the amendment process. Amy Coney Barrett, I did not dislike her because— here. There's three reasons you may dislike her or be opposed to her um, nomination and her confirmation. Number one, timing, uh, election year, death of um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That may be one reason that you were opposed to um, the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. Second reason is you believe that she, you know, she said it. She said she's a constitutional originalist. Uh, I think her policies are extreme and I don't think she'll rule by the law. The third reason is that um, you don't think she is qualified. And here's what happened. People said the timing is wrong, so she shouldn't be confirmed. People said that um, she will not rule by the law. And what, all, what the Republicans in the Senate said were, okay, maybe you not like her policies. Maybe you think the timing is wrong, but those don't matter. What matters is that she's qualified. All right. I have no fault in that argument except for one thing, and the facts say that she is not a qualified. She is not qualified. Um, I have no problem appointing an, like somebody with you know with policies, um, a Republican with policies to the Supreme Court, and I really, I don't mind that it was during the election year. I don't think it was right. Um, I don't think that they should have done it. It wasn't Ruth, um, Gator Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's wish, but legal. The problem is her qualification, and she really isn't qualified. She's been a circuit judge for three years, never ruled on a criminal case. She's been a clerk in civil cases most of her life. She really just was not qualified to be um, a Supreme Court justice. So that's my problem. Like, there are three reasons you may not like her, and I think the only one that really has, you know, a base is her qualifications. I think that even with the, it being an election year, they still shouldn't have tried to push her through, even if. Like, if she was qualified, they shouldn't have done it. But her being unqualified just adds another layer of why she should not be a Supreme Court judge right now. Yeah, so the nomination was... I didn't care about the nomination. I didn't think that she would... I knew he was going to make the nomination. I really did not think that we were going to see confirmation. I, I actually didn't. I thought that we would, because with his all... Or with his Republican-ruled Senate, we just... I think that we were going to see it. I think that we, I thought that we were just going to see her get shoved through the last minute, which is what happened. I didn't until Lindsey Graham's uh, final speech, like 30 minutes before the confirmation and Mitch McConnell's speech, um, 10 minutes before the nomination and 20 minutes after the nomination was supposed to take place or the confirmation. Um, Cause he just didn't stop talking. But after I saw those two speeches, I'm like, yeah, they have supported the Republican party there. I mean, Senate majority leader is giving these, you know, this long speech about how there's no reason not to confirm her. So I knew that the Republican Party would follow suit. But I had a lot of hope for for a while that we wouldn't see um, a confirmation. But after, you know, I heard the speeches, after I listened to the um, confirmation trial, I knew we were going to see it. Um, and I was actually more upset with this one than I was the Kavanaugh trial. Kavanaugh I trial just made me mad because I didn't think that he was fit. Kavanaugh trial made me more upset because it proved that a man with sexual assault allegations can be president, can get on our highest court, can do anything because people will believe him unless there is solid concrete proof. But uh, I stand on a basis of believing the victim always until it's proven otherwise, because I'd rather support a lying victim than a rapist. 
So his trial just no, act, that's his trial just that's act, her. <laughs> All right, it's um, extreme. I understand it, but yeah. So I agree with that. Where if somebody makes a claim, then you know, due process should you know be gone through, and we should kind of investigate the claim, investigate the person, and if there is, um, I believe that if there is remote evidence, I mean, little to not not no, but little little evidence that suggests that. So here you have a claim, and you have a small piece of evidence. That's enough, I think. To investigate a person. So here, if Kavanaugh had a very, you know, a little bit of evidence and claim what she did, then he should be investigated. But I don't think, you know, because I know cases where, you know, false rape accusations had no evidence. And I don't think those should even be looked at. Just like how we're throwing out Trump lawsuits because there's no evidence. Exactly. And I think that the statistic that people like to show is that there is a lot of false rape allegations, but there's not. There's a very, very small amount. So that is why I feel comfortable if someone comes forward and they say, this man assaulted me. That's why I feel comfortable saying, okay. Because right. you are- we, we only hear about the, the false ones. Those are the ones that the media likes. Mm-hmm. Because women coming forward, it's not something that they just sit, go on a whim and do. It's not. It's something that takes time and like something that people need to be okay with before they come forward. I mean, especially when it happens to young girls when they're like 12, 13 years old, they're not going to immediately go to the police. I mean, sometimes... Now, there should be... Right. But I also think that when a 50-year-old comes forward and says that they were assaulted when they were 13, you're not going to be able to find evidence for it. You just won't. All right? Because there's no way that, like, evidence lasts that long. And if that happens... Here... If a 50-year-old comes forward and say that Trump raped her when she was 13, one, you were 13, and so obviously still a problem. Like, But two, you just are saying this now that he's president of the United States, and it was 40 years ago. That's when I have a problem. But when a 13-year-old – or when a 25-year-old says they were you know, sexually assaulted when they were 15, that's – I believe that. And Trump did not make – you know, he's got 29, I think, sexual assault 47. allegations. Oh, yeah, 47. 29, 29 have seen trial, I think. Or... I know. 13 of the cases are current, currently in court are children. Yeah, and him and Jeffrey Epstein have that um, claim of them raping a 13-year-old girl. The fact that, these ki- that Trump has never seen the inside of a courtroom for any of these is a problem. And it's celebrities getting off easy because... Um, You know, they, you know, the defense plays the whole, oh, he's famous, so they're going to make up lies to get a bunch of money from him. Defense always plays that. But Trump has said some terrible things that hint to the fact that he's, you know, sounds like a pedophile. And I'm not saying Trump is a pedophile because none of these have been proven and I, you know, proven in court. And I, you know, I trust our legal system, except when it's a celebrity. That's a whole, you know, another thing. But he's said some a lot of things that are scary so when you've got a bunch of people coming forward and there's a lot of them you know it's not one or two it's not two best friends that are coming forward and saying trump raped them it's 47 people it's 47 different women none of them have met each other i'm sure right so when and then you also have you know things of him saying grab him by the and you know i moved in on her she was married you know like these are terrible things that our president has said and he admits that they're t- uh, kind of, you know, there's locker room talk. Um, but he said some terrible things and he's admitted to things practically. And now he's got rape allegations. And it's not a shock with the stuff that he says that there are allegations. It's just the sheer amount of how right. many there are. If somebody says, tells me that Trump has sexually assaulted 47, that Trump has sexually assaulted all of the women, 47, I will tell them, I guarantee you that's not true. If you say that he oh, sexually sure. assaulted at least one of them, I will say you 100%, there's no doubt that he did. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I, saying that I'm only sure, one of them was. I'm but, sure that there are a couple women who just came forward. To be a part of the movement. Yes, but that doesn't deny the fact that there are women in that 47 that have been assaulted by him. So, Trump is not the only politician that has rape allegations. Um, not unfortunately. 
Right. Biden does not have rape allegations, I don't believe, but he does have um, allegations of being of behaving inappropriately. He, he has does. eight of them. He's he uh, inappropriately towards women. And I think that we've seen it. Yeah. I've so definitely here's here's business insider. Here's all the times Joe Biden has been accused of acting inappropriately towards women and girls. Um, eight women have alleged that Biden either touched them inappropriately or violated their personal space. All right. So when it comes to the violated their personal space, that's very broad. I probably need to know more. Okay. Uh, did he, um, you know, touch your back as he was walking past you at a parade? Cause I mean, sure. Maybe you didn't want to be touched, but nothing happened there. Um, you know, like, did he pat you on the shoulder? Because, you know, after you he signed something for you, nothing happened there. So I need to know more about it. You know, nobody has said that Joe Biden has raped them, I don't believe. Um, and if it if they have, it's been a small thing. Somebody said they raped them. It's been proved untrue. It's been proven that he never even knew them. There was one what? woman named Tara Reid, but then her claim was debunked. Okay, I do remember that. Um, and every time that I think Biden's been accused of something major... Um, it's been proven that they don't even know each other or mm -hmm. something like that. They've never come in contact with each other. And yeah, we don't have enough. We don't have enough, I think, to call Biden like a pedophile or anything like that. And then here, there's like the pictures. Okay. The pictures are uncomfortable. They're awkward. But they look weird, but like, are I mean, here, I'm just, this probably, I don't think this happened, but let's just, for example, you are holding somebody's child because they asked you to, okay? Um, and you are holding them like this, right? At which point you rub your nose on your thing. Somebody takes a picture of me doing that. It looks really weird, you know? Agreed? Mm -hmm. But nothing happened there. Pictures can show anything. I, I've seen pictures of Trump doing nasty things, and I'm like, he that doesn't look very, like... Yeah, that doesn't like look was, right. Right. It, it doesn't look like he was sniffing some child. Like, that's just not natural but i have seen some pictures of both of them they're like okay yeah i think maybe that was a little weird um a lot of stuff brought up during the election too that about biden that was just very uncomfortable and weird mm -hmm. like those photos they always like to use the one and i think you've seen it it's right. like he's got his arm around her and he's right. like leaning over but it's so not so here hunter let's talk about hunter and Bo biden for a second and the, the presidential debates, because there was a lot of talking about Hunter Biden um, and Bo Biden during the presidential debates. I th thought it was very disgusting, like the way that he had, would attack his family. But Hunter Biden does have controversy. Um, you know, Hunter Biden had, you know, the whole, I think it was the Ukraine controversy. Biden claimed to not know about it. It was proven that he did. That seems a little sketchy. All right. That seems a little weird. But he also attacked Bo Biden, a military veteran who died of cancer. I think uh, um, he died in a car crash, I think. Okay. But I think he did have cancer. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then he also lost his um, wife, his wife and daughter, young daughter in a car crash. So attacking his family like that. And you saw the things that, you know, Biden tweeted after it, you know, heartbreaking, mm -hmm. but Trump attacking Hunter Biden, there's controversy there, but I don't think it was, you know, needed to be brought up at the presidential debate. You know, it had nothing to do with the topic at hand. It had nothing to do with what they were discussing. And it, it what I bring it down to is Hunter is not running for president. Hunter is not running for public office. Mm -hmm. Biden, Joe Biden is. Right. And the way that he talked about Hunter Biden's addiction, too, it was just uncalled for. Mm -hmm. Because. I mean, addiction is like, like, um, you know, a mental illness. I mean, people can't. Once you're addicted, you can't control it. You made the mistake of doing it in the first place. But it's an uncontrollable like situation, and it ruins and lives. He is sober now. He's not currently on it like they like to make him out to be. Mm -hmm. um, so it was heartbreaking to see them call him out for this addiction that he no longer has. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, like incredibly successful people, have had addiction problems in their past, and they don't get called out for it. Instead, they get called like heroes, you know, survivor. But, you know, or, like, Dean, or right. realizing this between, like, addiction survivors but then the second it's someone's son or daughter it's like what 
So you wanted to talk about um, what else did we want you want to talk about? Didn't you have notes on something? I do. I have notes on Biden's plan for healthcare. Healthcare. All right. So why don't you talk about a little bit about that? Okay. So what I have here is that Biden plans on expanding the Affordable Care Act, which he passed with Obama during Obama's term. Um, he basically wants to give a public option to everyone, like Medicaid. So, like, you don't have to be on it, but it's an option there if you can't afford private health care, like ProMedica or Mercy or stuff like that. Um, he also wants to expand coverage for low-income families. So, like, instead of only covering half of something, it'll, the insurance will cover everything, which will be paid for with, like, tax dollars and government funding. And so he also has a plan to limit how much uh, a company can, like, charge you for a drug. Like insulin right now is like $500 a month. And so it's just very hard to get any sort of medication because of private companies. And so he has plans to just slap these private companies with lawsuits and taxes and uh, like limitations for how much they can buy and spend on drugs, which is, I think, very good because it gives low-income people the chance to survive with their medicine. Um, I think that's all I have right now. Uh, he also has something called the Biden plan for his, uh, for carbon emissions. He wants to limit our carbon emissions and have zero by 2025. So um, when we're talking about universal health care, okay, uh, a lot of people like to make the comparison comparison between the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. Mm-hmm. Canada has um, pretty much socialized medicine, um, mm-hmm. and here, so th- they're taxed very highly. But uh, you um, get the coronavirus, you go to their medical facility, you stay there for thirty days, uh, you get healthy and get your strength back, and you leave. Okay, in the U.S., it's the exact same, except they slap two thousand, or it, it'd be much more if you were there for like a month. It'd be like. So I guarantee you, like if I were to get hospitalized in the U S for a month or two, get a, you know, half a million dollar bill. People are like, okay, well in Canada, it's the same, but you're getting taxed that. No, I'm not getting taxed half a million dollars um, for healthcare in Canada. So the healthcare system in Canada is very beneficial. If you have a serious incident uh, where you're in the hospital for a long period of time. It's not very beneficial if you go the whole year and only get a checkup once or twice at the doctors. Then you're paying more in taxes than you're actually utilizing. So are you in favor of socialized medicine in the U.S. where it's out of your taxes and benefits you or doesn't benefit you? Or are you in favor of uh, public and private insurance companies with um, you know, the bills coming straight to you from the hospital depending on how much you use? So I'm definitely in favor of socialized medicine. I think that it would just be beneficial to our country because I remember seeing a video a while ago about a girl who was diagnosed with brain cancer and her total bill after like clearing it and like not having the tumor anymore was $4 million. And so she couldn't, she's not going to be able to pay that back ever. No. So it was just something it's just something where i think that someone shouldn't have to pay that much money to live i think that if it's coming from our tax dollars i would be okay with my taxes getting raised so other people can live i do think so, people should have, i think they should have the option for private insurance though if they want it but i think that we should have a public option as well and one that can cover the cost if you can't afford it so one thing you need that's you know we have to look at is Uh, survival rates in the U.S. and Canada, and you can compare medicine, all right? You're paying less in Canada for, let's say that you have breast cancer, because that's the information that I have. You have breast cancer in Canada and, or then, you know, breast cancer in the U.S., all right? So you are being charged much more in the U.S., a lot more, and what we need to look at is the survival rate. Are you, you know, is that money benefiting you in the u.s paying that extra money to you know go through your care in the u.s so here is uh the result in uh canada one second so the uh breast cancer survival rate in the u.s is um 
is currently listed as uh, the 10-year survival rate for women with invasive breast cancer is 84%. Okay. Um, in Canada, it's where they have socialized medicine. Um, it is... All right, let's look at the five-year because that's what Canada has. The five-year survival rate with woman, for a woman with breast cancer is 99%. Canada's 88%. So a big difference in Canada. All right. So would you rather be in the US where you're, you know, getting a, you know, multi-million dollar bill um, with a 99% five-year survival rate? And that's only for five years. All right. Um, or be in Canada where you have socialized medicine, you pay taxes, whether you use it or not, and have an 88% chance. And what you need to, you know, consider is like in the U.S., you're being charged a lot for it, and the survival rate is still high for both. So, like, do you think there's a big enough, you know, a 11% difference? Do you think that's a big, a big enough difference to benefit from socialized medicine? Okay, so just going off of that statistic, too, we are not counting how every breast cancer is different, every tumor is different, every treatment is different, and how many women they have diagnosed per each study or the survival, how many women they have listed as clearing breast cancer in each statistic too. So there's like a big like gray area there, but I think that the 11% there anyway is a lot, but 84 is still a good percentage. So I don't know how accurate that is because I found that information in about 10 seconds. It was from a medical um, facility. So, you know, just going off that. So um, the highest the best countries um for five-year net survival rate all right is the u.s canada australia new zealand finland iceland norway and sweden and i know that most of those countries have universal health care the almost, u.s does not have universal health care almost every other developed country has universal health care other than the u.s so i mean here i have seen i'm sure you've seen the video where um people from the UK try to guess US healthcare prices. And we are at a point where insurance companies are so greedy that it costs $35 to hold your baby after a C-section in the US. That's um, right. I've heard a story where uh, um, at uh, the hospital um, after my mother gave birth, okay, um, they asked if she wanted an ibuprofen because, you know, they said rate your pain. She said like four. They said, okay, I'll bring you an ibuprofen. Um, a pack of ibuprofen in, at the store, all right, is $10 for, at Target, all right, $10 for a big thing of ibuprofen tablets with, like, probably over 100 in it. She was charged $80 for two ibuprofen tablets administered at the hospital. Insurance companies are so greedy that... We're getting to a point where like people literally cannot afford to live. And it's crazy that we have like these big organizations like, you know, St. Jude Children's Hospital and Shriners Children's Hospital where people go and get their, you know, cancer treated. They live for free. And it's crazy that those are like organizations that are surviving off of people donating. Like, how is that just not the norm for the U.S.? Like St. Jude's too. They shouldn't have to go off of people donating. They should have funding to help with that. Right. Like, shouldn't, I mean, here, those hospitals are very good hospitals. And, you know, they get their, you know, their patients do, you know, get everything for free, especially, you know, like the Shriners Children's Hospital. But if that is such a great thing, why can't we figure out a way to implement that throughout the country? And not just for like, you know, major illnesses like cancers and, you know, stuff like that. But if you break your arm, all right, in Canada, you walk in, uh, they take an x-ray, they give you painkillers, you get a cast, and you leave. That's what happens in Canada. Here, you do the exact same thing, except uh, you give them your insurance card, and um, your insurance covers a little... Well, I don't think insurance would cover that at all. And um, it's like half of it. Just going off of when I broke my wrist. Right. like half of it out front but then you can't you can't break another bone for another year or they won't cover it right like our um 
like dental healthcare, okay? I have braces and the prices for braces are absolutely absurd. Like it is insane how much, it, and it's not just braces. It's like the treatment for the next, I mean, I'll have them for 24, up to 24 months. Yeah. It's treatment for that amount of time, but it is extremely expensive. And braces are technically um, elective, I guess. It's not required. I would live without my braces. But, I mean, the dentist recommends it. And without even asking, they refer you to an orthodontist. Because it's assumed that you're going to want to fix that. Um, and, you know, I was to get my braces, I was required to get three teeth pulled or four teeth pulled. Um, and that costs money. So the whole process of making my teeth look pretty is extremely expensive in the u.s and in canada i don't know what that would cost and it would probably come out of our taxes um but it is elective so i'm not sure but healthcare prices in the u.s are absolutely absurd and one of the biggest reasons that i hope i never get like cancer is because of the cost i mean that is one of the major reasons i wouldn't be able i don't to want to die and cost right i mean here you go through a major cancer treatment you, you were talking about um that lady who had the four million dollar thing she could send with that four million dollars that she's going to have to pay off and leave her family with after she dies uh she could send like uh probably four million divided by let's just say two hundred thousand she could send 20 people she could go to college 20 times get 20 bachelor's degrees for that cost that's like having 20 student loans on top of you. And some people, it takes forever to pay off their single student loan. But with insurance companies, too, with those loans, they will, they put their tax on it that they gave you this money and now you have to pay more back to them, too. So they add on to that. Right. And you're paying for your insurance, whether you use it or not. So mm -hmm. if me and my entire family goes, doesn't get in a car crash or nothing happens to our house, we don't get sick, we don't go to the doctor we're paying the same amount, uh, you know, other than, you know, like deductibles and all that. We're paying the same amount in a year. And I don't, I just feel like that's not how it should work. It's not at all how it should work. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, you're good. So um, we, we talked about how that's expensive. So, and then I also mentioned the whole college thing. So how do you feel about, um, you know, eliminating college debt and making college public university free? Well, I know that uh, in Biden's plan, he said he wants to have two years of free community college, which I think is a really, really good idea. I think that college should not be $100,000 to go for four years. So That's who's paying Who's paying for that? That's the question, though. And I'm not, like, arguing with you. That's kind of yeah. why I'm here. You know, I'm even though I agree with you, I'm going to argue with you. So I, who's going to pay for that? I understand it, too, how expensive that, like, everything that we want to do is. But by like, if we slash our military's budget, then we have money that we can send people to college for. So, soft statistic: if we slash our military, so we're the number one military in the country. It's not even close. We slash our budget by three percent, and we pay off all student loans in the entire U.S. We still everybody. Have, we still have the most powerful. Army and it was it would world. still grow with ninety seven percent of our budget for you mm -hmm. know a year. Mm -hmm. And. I mean, there are so many things. I mean, slash the military budget by not 3%, slash it by 5%. Do you know what we could do with that money? We you could, could forgive, forgive all cut, right, forgive all college debt and, you know, work on solving our poverty problem. So, yeah, there's a lot we could do and it all requires money and we understand that, but we also understand that there are ways to get that money. We know that it's not going to be free. Like free, free college isn't, free it's coming from taxes but it's so here let's before we end we're about 58 minutes in all um right. let's do a quick speed round with you all right so i'll ask i'll you just say for or against all right um, actually you, you can just answer yes or no okay. so uh we'll start with very easy questions and progressively get harder okay uh are you for joe biden's tax plan yes are you f uh pro-choice Yes. Are you for universal health care? Yes. Are you for forgiving college debt? Yes. Are you for gun control? You can, you can, 
Yeah. I'm All right. So explain. Um, I think that everyone should be able to own a gun. It's in our second amendment, but I don't think that the general public should be allowed to have military grade weapons either like AR 15s and AK 47s and guns like that. Yeah. That's a, uh, I think that's like a solution that makes everybody happy should make everybody happy. I see nothing wrong with that. Like nobody is, I've, I've asked people like, okay, you're, 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 you think that you should be able to own an AK 47. That's perfectly fine. Tell me why. And they just can't like, or they do. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, well, they're like, uh, we're protecting your home. Like right, protecting no. me and my family. Like, are you going to be invaded by the entire army of Switzerland? Uh, like so, who's going to be coming into your home that will not be taken down by a, a, a Glock in your drawer. Okay. So yeah. I've seen, like reports on AK 47s. Uh, if you shoot one, it's not just going to go through your house. It's going to go through your neighbor's house. It's going to go through their neighbor's house. <laughs> This is a gun that is not made for protecting your home. This is military. All right. This is a gun that's made for protecting. Like I said, you know, is an entire army going to come into your house? No, but is an entire army going to try to come into our country? Yes. So that's yeah. what those, these AR-15s are used for. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's illegal for a single, um, you know, a single family residence to own a nuclear weapon. Why? Because they're used against other countries and not against protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I. that's probably the perfect answer. So I knew when I asked that question, you weren't going to say yes or no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a great episode. Thank you, Myra, for being with me. Um, we'll probably see you again, you know, in a couple months if something big happens. Um, yeah, or if you just have more to talk about. Uh, thank you for watching, everybody. And this will be uploaded to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, everywhere you get your podcasts within probably 10, 15 minutes. So thank you, Myra, and see everybody next time.